0: Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Hello everybody, my name is Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to my podcast on the book of Revelation. In this series of podcasts, we're going to look at the book of Revelation from chapters 1-22. through What did John say? How would John's readers have understood what he said? And what does it mean for us today? After we survey the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, we'll then record some more podcasts that will examine some of the more popular topics. What about the beast and the Antichrist and the rapture and some of the more popular topics. For those of you who are interested, I encourage you to get a copy of my book, Follow the Lamb. It's a guide on how to read, understand, and apply the book of Revelation. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth podcast. For now, I hope you sit back and enjoy our study of the book of Revelation. Today's podcast takes us to Revelation chapter 19. Uh, Revelation chapters 19 through 22 is the climax, the conclusion of the book of Revelation and the biblical story. One of the first things to notice is that the primary Old Testament background for Revelation chapters 19 through 22 is Ezekiel chapters 37 through 48, and we'll point this out a number of times as we proceed through these final four chapters. But between Ezekiel 37 and 48 and Revelation 19:22, we'll notice that uh, both use references to Gog and Magog. In both uh, places, uh, fire comes down from heaven and destroys Gog and, and his followers. Both passages describe uh, uh, gorging by birds. And, and in both, John and Ezekiel are taken to a high place where they are shown a vision of a new city. Uh, both see a figure with a measuring rod. And in both uh, instances, they see a city or a temple and a square with gates and walls and foundations, with uh, three gates on each side. We'll look specifically at the parallels between these two passages when we get to chapters 21, verse 1 through 22, uh, 5 in the book of Revelation. But Revelation 19, uh, 1 through 8, provides a collection of hymns. And these hymns now uh, kind of contrast with the three groups who lamented the fall of Babylon in Revelation chapter 18 uh, that we noted last time. Remember the kings of the earth, uh, the merchants of the earth, uh, and the sailors and shipmasters and passengers all mourn and lament uh, the falling of babylon because babylon was uh, the means of their economic prosperity and now we're going to see three grand uh, three groups that express uh, joy uh, of god's justice so revelation chapter 19 verse 1 after these things i heard as it were a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our god because his judgments are true and righteous for He has judged the great harlot who has corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And the second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad, and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. These three groups express God's justice. The first is the great multitude in chapter 19, verses 1 through 3, uh, probably paralleling, of course, the great multitude in chapter 7. I heard a voice of a great multitude saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous. The second group is uh, elders and living creatures in verse 4. And the third group is uh, probably this voice from the throne in verse 5. Uh, all expressing God's justice and the joy of, uh, of God's justice. And, and, and the bottom line now is that God has answered the prayers of the saints. Uh, verse two, 2 says that he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. This is the cry of the, of the saints in chapter 6. How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? And the answer is, God has finally avenged their blood. But only after he's given time for the nations to repent. So chapter 19 verses 1 through 10 then are continuing the section begun in chapter 17 verse 1 and the three three laments of chapter 18 and then followed by these three hallelujahs of the great multitude. Chapter 19 verses 7 through 10 uh, then describe what we call the eschatological feast or the end times banquet, the great marriage supper of the Lamb, the bride has made herself ready. The Old Testament context for this is Isaiah chapter 61 verses 10 uh, through chapter 62 verse 5. Let me read that passage. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and has arrayed me in a robe of of his righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication, and all the kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted, or name you, name your land desolate. But you will be called Hephzibah, and your land Bula. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. And as a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. The bride has become, the church has become the bride uh, from the perspective of the end times. Now in the Old Testament, of course, Israel is the wife of Yahweh. John says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And John fell down on his feet to worship. Now John falls down at the feet of an angel to worship several times in the book of Revelation. The commentator Richard Balcom makes note that the, quote, the heavenly glory and the supernatural authority of the angelic beings encountered by apothe- apocalyptic visionaries not unnaturally provoke a response bordering on worship, but the principle of monotheistic worship, or the worship of only one God, is strongly asserted when even the most exalted heavenly beings reject worship and insist that only God should be worshiped. John John continues with the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy in chapter 19 verse 10. The testimony of Jesus is probably the testimony born by Jesus but it's probably also the testimony about Jesus that's born by his followers. And this is the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy is a reference to Pentecost, of course. The spirit is the one who inspires prophecy. It's the the mode of prophetic inspiration. Now as we move on to Revelation chapter 19 verse 11, we're going to note that there's kind of an abrupt interruption. As we mentioned last time, Revelation chapter seventeen one through 19.10 uh, parallels Revelation chapter 21.9 through chapter two nine. Uh, both passages begin with a reference to one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. And, seven, and it says to John, Come and I will show you, in Revelation 17.1 I'm going to show you the harlot, the judgment of the harlot who sits on many waters. In twenty two I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. In both these passages, Revelation seventeen one through 19.10, and Revelation twenty-one nine through twenty-two nine, they both end with John having an angel who appears to him, and he falls down to worship the angel. So we see the beginning and the ending of both these sections. That makes nineteen eleven and its abrupt transition uh, kind of some transitional uh, passage between these two sections. Uh, one more thing, also as well, Revelation seventeen one through nineteen ten and Revelation twenty-one nine through twenty-two 9, uh, both deal with two cities portrayed as women. So they both begin and end the same way, and they both deal with women, uh, cities portrayed as women. So, nineteen eleven through twenty one eight is a transitional section. It's transitional between the fall of Babylon in Revelation seventeen one through nineteen ten and the descent of the New Jerusalem, or the Bride, uh, the wife of the Lamb, in Revelation twenty one nine through twenty two nine. Let's begin by reading Revelation chapter nineteen. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who you sat upon it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. He has a name written upon him, which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit upon them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies, assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse, and against his armies. Verse 20 says, And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive in a lake of fire which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with a sword which came out of the mouth of him who sat upon the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. One of the first things to notice about this particular passage is how many references there are in this section to earlier parts of the book of Revelation and not actually from passages in the Old Testament. Both Revelation 12, 5, and 19:5, 19, 19:15 19, reference a child that's snatched up to rule. And now in 19:15, that child who is snatched up to rule does just that. He begins to rule. References in chapter 1, verse 5, and 3, verse 14, to him who is faithful and true. 19, verse 11 through 16 has numerous allusions to Jesus and the description of Christ in Revelation chapter 1. His eyes like blazing fire, for example. Revelation 14, verse 20 and 19:15 both reference the one who treads the winepress. In chapter 17, verse 14, he's called the king of kings and the lord of lords. The description of the people in Revelation 19, verse 18, the kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and horses and those who sit upon them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great, reminds of the list of people in Revelation chapter 6 who suffer under the fate of the sixth seal. In chapter 18-2, an angel cried out with a loud voice, Fallen, fallen, as Babylon the great, parallels the angel in chapter 19, verse 17, who cried out with a loud voice, to saying to all the birds in the midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God. And this section also summarizes the judgment of the three enemies of God, and of God's people, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Revelation nineteen eleven through 16 describes Christ, and the depiction of Christ is kind of in terms of a Roman military general. He's coming to wage war and to rule. He's coming to capture and to punish his enemies, in this case, the two beasts. Now, it's important to note, and we'll pay more attention to this in a subsequent discussion of the the war in the book of Revelation, that Revelation 19.11 through 16 in this description of this last war, this end times battle. First off, the the description of Christ takes up most of the depiction uh, of the last battle itself. In fact, if you look carefully, there's really no description of the battle at all. The New Testament scholar David Barr makes note of, quote, Note the striking absence of anything that could be called a battle scene. So even though many commentators and, and uh, popular theologians make reference to the War of Armageddon this great battle described in the book of Revelation, which we'll discuss more in detail at a future podcast, we want to make note of the fact now that there's really not much of a battle ever described in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 16 describes Armageddon and says in verse 16, they gathered them together to the place when Hebrew, which is called Armageddon," but it never describes any war after that. There's, there's no war in Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 19 describes, uh, I saw the beast in verse 19. The beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. But look what verse 20 says. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet. There, there's no no description of a war. It, they're assembling to make war, but the war actually never seems to take place because Christ comes and boom, the war's over. Revelation chapter 20 has another passage that's very similar in the, in the description of a war. It says in verse 7, the thousand years were completed, Satan's going to be released from his prison. He's going to come out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them them together for the war. Uh, The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and they surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Uh, So the only real description of a war is, well, fire come down from heaven and devour them. Uh, Revelation does not seem to describe some end times cosmic battle uh, uh, with this great description simply put Christ and his heavenly army returns and the war takes and the war is is consummated now the description of Jesus in Revelation 19 verse 11 and following as I mentioned a minute ago describes him kind of as a Roman military general he's riding on a on a white horse uh, the white probably suggesting purity but it's also the kind of horse that a Roman general rides in the battle he's called faithful and true uh, remember, Jesus' words are faithful and true in, in Revelation 21. And, the, and he wages war because the war he's waging against is deception and lying. This is not a description of a, of a physical war taking place on the, uh, on the plains of Megiddo, for example. Uh, the next thing he's described as one who judges and makes war in righteousness. Uh, Christ is both the witness, in this instance, the one who's faithful and true, and he's also the judge. His eyes are like a flame of fire, of course, reminds us of the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. But these are also attributes of justice and the ability to see everything. Uh, He has many diadems on his head. Remember, Satan has ten crowns, but Jesus has many crowns. A contrast with the beast, then, and the dragon's false claims of sovereignty with their crowns. He has a new name written on him, which no one knows except himself. We might suppose that the name is Yahweh. Uh, uh, In in the Old Testament world, uh, to know a name meant to have control over someone. So perhaps the idea that he has a name that no one knows means he has total sovereignty. No one has sovereignty or power over him. The name is probably written on his crown, which contrasts the beast who has blasphemous names written on his crowns. He has a robe dipped in blood, which shows Jesus as a triumphant warrior. Now at this point, many suspect that the blood that Jesus' robe is, is dipped in is his own blood. It's referencing Jesus' sacrifice and by the blood through which our garments, which are washed in his blood, are made white. But the Old Testament background for this is probably Isaiah chapter 63. Uh, Isaiah 63 verse 1 says this, Who is this coming from Edom, from Basra, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forth in the greatness of his strength? It is I, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. The reference here to Isaiah chapter 63 is the fact that his garments are are red because he's been trodden the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, which of course is a a description of Jesus himself who treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty in chapter 14 and following. So the idea of his robe being dipped in blood is probably the blood of his enemies. John goes on to describe him as having a name who is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, he says, were following him, riding on white horses. The armies of heaven perhaps are a reference to both the saints, who ride on white horses and have white robes, but also angels. In chapter 15, verse 6, the angels were wearing white. Uh, One scholar, Ressigui, says, Their clothing recalls the bride's fine linen, bright and pure whose spotless and pure dress symbolizes her spiritual and moral purity. The armies of heaven are clothed with the same pure linen garments as the bride, although their robes are white, not bright. White is the color of the multitude's garments, the clothing of the subaltern martyrs, and the dress of the victors at Sardis and Laodicea, in contrast to the soiled garments of some at Sardis and the apparel of the whore. John also describes Jesus having a, a sharp sword, which likely references the word of God proceeding from his mouth. He says he will rule them with an uh, an iron scepter, which is a quote from Psalm chapter 2. And then he treads the winepress to the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, which again is in reference to the fact that why his garments are actually red. He has a name on him, on his robe and on his thigh, and his name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The idea of his name being on his robe and on his thigh probably indicates the fact that his robe is both on his person and on his garments. Uh, It's his universal sovereignty. Then there's an invitation in verses 17 and following for the birds to gather. It's the imminent destruction of the enemies of God. It's the great supper of God. The Old Testament background for this particular passage, description of the, the birds gathering together to eat uh, uh, the, the enemies of God is, is the book of Ezekiel. As I mentioned earlier, Ezekiel 37-48 is a significant background for what's going on in this particular passage. Ezekiel 39 verse 4 says, On the mountains of Israel you will fall, you and all your troops and the nations with you. I will give you as food to all kinds of carrion birds and to the wild animals. Skipping down to verse uh, 17, it says, Son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Call out to every kind of bird and to all the wild animals. Assemble and come together from all around to the sacrifice I am preparing for you. The great sacrifice in the mountains of Israel. There you will eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of princes of the earth, as if they were rams and lambs and goats and bulls, all of them fattened animals from Bashan. At the sacrifice I'm preparing for you, you'll eat fat till you are glutt- uh, glutted and drink blood till you are drunk. At my table, you'll eat your fill of horses and riders, mighty men and soldiers of every kind, declares the Sovereign Lord. So we see this Ezekiel background, this final battle now again, is not actually described, only its outcome is described. Revelation chapter 19 then, verses 19 through 21, then describe the defeat of the beast and the false prophet and their followers. Again, it's more a description of the outcome of their, of their defeat, and not the battle itself. The beast and the false prophet are then thrown into the lake of fire. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.